What's up? WSQF, Blake Radio 94.5 for the Young and Old Show. Can you believe it? We're on the 29th show with Radio Socialist Alejandro. Today's Ash Wednesday, so I'm feeling uh, like I went through a confessional. It's funny uh, how the priests, uh, mo- most of the time, I can find some value in what they actually say literally based on the attitude I had before arriving to church that day. And today was about du- you know duplicity and hypocrisy, how so many people live uh, live live dual lives basically pretending they're really catholic and their heart is you know rock hard black hearted and envious and you know duplicitous and i was very moved by that because is uh i'm quite accustomed to doing that battle making my making sure myself is true blue and that i think explains why I like to annoy people all the time, and I'm not humble enough, and uh, it comes across as arrogance, and I know that I'm not being arrogant, I'm more interested in teaching or staying true to form and not tolerating stuff. But I'm over that for the just for today. So how- I, I find it with myself, because I think that's the hallmark of anyone who genuinely believes in what their religion is aiming for, right? is they talk about that struggle. Like, I hear from a lot of people who get into religion, and then when they find that they're not vibing with a truth claim, they just drop out. And they become, they actually kind of regress in some ways. Yeah, become agnostic. Most people aren't followers of the faith only because it ain't easy. It's supposed to be dark and hard and full of penance and retribution, self-retribution, uh, because, at least among Catholics, we are right now in a moment of Lent, starting basically today. And uh, we are supposed to sacrifice some something that is joyous in our hearts, in our personalities, or in our character, or just simply giving up chocolate. You know, that, that's fine, too. Give up something in his name, because after all, he's now uh, beginning his march to his crucifixion. So this is a very wonderful time in our faith. It's probably the most valuable, most important time in our faith. A lot of people make a lot of hoodoo about Christmas being the birth, but the truth is, it ain't about his birth at Christmas time. It's about the joy of his arrival, you know, as a son of God. But his death, boy, down that is the reason. That's the end-all, be-all for things. You know, that is the reason for the season. It really is. So, yeah, I'm I'm very happy that uh, we could uh, that I could go, and because uh, it's very important to me. Uh, Easter is more important to me than all the other uh, Catholic seasons. I mean, and, it should be. I'm not so sure it should be because that would me that would put me passing judgment on my other my other fellow. Uh, Lycos, uh, but the truth is, you know, obedience and sacrifice is what it's about, and that's there's nothing more representative of obedience and sacrifice than the Lenten season. So, 
Now we go back to I, the I guess sinners. That's the part that I unless you want to elaborate, I was no, going to go straight it, it, to the the deep state sinners of politics. I guess no, but that's that's interesting because it's I really what I really take and cherish from my time as a Buddhist was really learning. Like it really it, it taught me how to be happy, you know, because it taught me that letting go of stuff like the attachment is. It's just a fundamental good rule of thumb that has really kind of aligned my priorities and it's aligned my attitude about sort of many Water things. under the bridge, my friend. And Life I, is full of those. Just and, let it go, man. And I guess because you talked about your own struggles, I feel like what I struggle with is detachment kind of running up against my, you know, my ambitions for things. Because yeah, without giving up the stuff that's setting you back. Well, it, it's when do you know what is a proper detachment and what like, and what is you just not giving yourself credit? Like that's what I struggle with. Like I gave up a, I gave up a lot of red. I gave up red meat in general. I only have chicken and turkey. Um, I mostly eat I'll vegetarian. You. I'll forgive you. Oh no, the the idea is that you're supposed like some sex. Get off all like meat in general in Buddhism. Um, that's one thing that I really. All Buddhists are, are vegans or no? No, they're not vegans. They, they were around before it was possible to be vegan. But a lot of early monks found that it was very after spending some time with some animals that it was the right thing to do not to eat meat. Like cause really, because they, so they, cause they not, bonded with them. Yeah, so killing killing them was just unacceptable. Yeah, because um, here's the funny thing: is a lot of people get the Buddha story wrong. Is that they're like, oh, Buddha didn't eat any, you know, he didn't eat anything. His stomach was as big as a grain of rice. <laughs> and then they they don't notice that they suddenly say, he died because he eat he ate bad pork. Yeah. Well, was because that, they was that true? The story is that tr- but is it true? He uh, Buddha ended up dying uh, yeah. from pork poisoning. From pork poisoning. Um, the irony of that. So, I guess how I see, like, because when you say that, that rings, that rings true to me, and I feel the real purpose of religion is to how to navigate the world and modernity while you know not falling prey to it. And what you see very much often, and I guess how it feels now in the 21st century is we have seen religion mostly be used as a confirmation bias where people, you know, even in politics where they're they're very sure that this is what they're supposed to be doing on a large scale. Like, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, no, you, you got to vote this way or you got to vote that way or Christ would want you to do this. When it's, when I've always found it or the texts that resonated the most with me are the ones that are very much about you know, there is a clear line between doing something good and doing something bad, but it's ultimately about you figuring this out and getting to know yourself. Because to me, that's kind of the utility of tradition. Is it, it gives you a set, like, for me, I almost look at tradition in the opposite way a lot of conservatives do. For me, tradition is kind of an appeal to sanity. That it's like, you know, like, no, this isn't that crazy people used to do this back then right it's like the feeling that you're not totally swinging out left field that 
your your foot's grounded somewhere. But then at the same time, I feel like, and I guess this is the hard part for me when I was a Christian, was that like, man, Jesus was 2,000 years ago. I, I need advice now, man. <laughs> I need advice now. <laughs> yeah, but... He, he, <laughs> but that's the purpose of like the church and the confessional and all of this stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, letting stuff go one of the one of the nicest exercises of letting stuff go is confessional because you remove it from your soul by saying it out loud and the other person might not even know you or might know you uh, might ask you to do you know some prayers meditate about it or do nothing at all uh, there are times where I've had to had the priest tell me uh, please I, I understand like cut it all cut it cut it short dude don't give me all the details. So it depends on how obedient and how much you want to sacrifice for his relationship, his uh, embracing you, and him doing the unimaginable when you least expect it. And I see him showing himself all the time to me just by just by stuff that I, we, my brothers call. God incidences. We don't believe in coincidences. We believe in God incidences. And I name them from time to time when I when I speak to people. There's just too much that uh, could have been my demise, for instance, that he's got me standing here talking. I was a mumbler in first grade. I attribute my mom's passion and purpose. And I'm on the radio today. I suffered three strokes and I'm not paralyzed. I f- fell from a truck <laughs> At 10, 15, 20, who knows how many miles per hour? It couldn't have been that fast because the, the person was making a turn. But still, I'm here. I was knocked out. Um, I tell the story of, the, of Chris Henry, was a wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. He had a troubled pass. He's got a second chance, and he started performing really well. He was a very talented wide receiver. And the year he was doing most for himself, he also was suffering from domestic uh, propensity for domestic violence. He, you know, he would have discourse, physical with his uh, wife. Well, she drives off one day during an, an accident. I'm sorry, during an incident. Excuse me. He's so fast, he's able to get to the back of the pickup truck, running from inside the house, leaving his kids behind in the middle of the argument. Some people say he was begging for forgiveness from the back of the truck, screaming into the cab. Other people saying he was pounding on the roof. You know, who knows? But she makes a turn, just like mine. And he falls out of the pickup truck. And he, all pro stud, is dead in 17 hours. You know, he died. But I used to ask myself, why did I live from my fall of the pickup truck and why did he die? And I believe it was, I'm afraid to say the date, but it was... After 87, obviously, but I don't know how long after I had forgotten the date. But I did a recording, a uh, radio recording at the time with all the specifics. you got to scroll down to the early archives of Blink Radio 94.5 FM here in Blink Radio, Key Biscayne. You can hear us live stream and recorded, uploaded the next day at WSQFradio.com at 6.30 in Key Biscayne, Florida. And uh, I, under, uh, I, I remember taking my father to the doctors. He wouldn't let me go in because I was going to rat him out for the pastels and the stuff that he had eaten 
letting the doctor know that you know he's not taking care of himself. He's eating all the sugar, which I find myself doing now because I have the same diabetes. But in sitting there in the waiting room, I pick up the Essence magazine. For those who've heard this before, sorry. And I pull open the page, you know, like a destiny page, and I grab it, and a, uh, uh, there's Chris Henry, his story. And in death, he was able to give away four organs. So four people live with his organs in his death. And I said, oh, that's why I survived. Because I was committed to four people's lives that are much better had, had, uh, had they not listened to me. Their lives are much better because they listened to me. And they were monumental in scope. They really changed their lives. And they didn't even have to thank me. I knew that that was the reason why I lived. His four, my four. Him in death, me in life. And that's it. That's all I see in God incidents. Nothing more, nothing less. God steps in the path. Who would have thunk it kind of thing? I can't believe this is happening. Wow, it has to be him. Can't be other. It can't be anything else. And I, I like to see Catholics running around with their crosses on their head on Ash Wednesday. So that's probably why I spoke this way. And I why mean, we, why I, we started I look at karma as kind of a guiding thing. Okay. That karma, with karma, nothing's supposed to happen out of coincidence. Like even people who are your enemies, mm-hmm. that's supposed. There are stories that like you were fighting with them in a past life. Oh, interesting. And, and it's like kind of your duty to forgive each other so both of your souls can move on. Is a big thing. With that I don't too. see why that should be argued. There, there, there's nothing but good things to come with forgiveness. You know, there's a lot of people who who refuse to get involved in any faith, and they believe that they're all the same. Ah, oh, they're all the same. They're just, uh, they just, uh, they just appeal to different people, different cultures, differently. But it's all the same. I really don't see that as the case. I can't possibly. If there was, there there wouldn't be religious persecution if this was the case. Like, <laughs> well, they're, they're, we they're, have to. <laughs> you have to blame humans for that one, man. I, I know, but like, but it, it just says that so clearly. Because if it's like, if all religions, no, you said it if perfectly. If all religions were the same, we wouldn't have these disagreements. Yes. Like even inter, even within the same umbrella branches, we we would not be splintering off if we were all on the same boat given certain philosophical questions. Well, do you know how many years Buddhism uh, was formed and related to and prayed to and, and relished as a faith before Judaism? Do you know what that number is? I don't I don't think before Judaism. Judaism's like 5,000 years old. So you believe Judaism was first? Yeah. I was hoping you would give me that answer. I just didn't want to make the statement not knowing. No, I, I respect that. I respect that. Yeah, I was hoping that that it would be that. I always thought that Abraham uh, schism or conflict he had with Sarah and having uh, his first child with... There is good amount of evidence to suggest is that... Joe, is Joe already... He already wiped off his cross? Oh, my God. I mean, at least he had it. Yeah, at least he tried there. He, <laughs> tried, he had it as long as he could. It, well, he went to church in Poland. Okay. So... Um, yeah, it's one of those situations where what's fun about my faith is that he it's the only faith that I know of, and I don't think there is another faith, that 
tells the story of a God who came as man and bled for us and died on, on a cross for sin. So we don't have to really hope for the second coming because we already had the first coming. And I think that Vladimir Putin also is a Catholic, a Greek Orthodox Catholic, uh, is kind of disturbing. But then again, you know, the devil can reside in anybody and hide behind anything, really. So it is what it is, you know. It's uh, a sad reality. But I think now on Friday or Monday, we have a plan to change things up a little bit for our audience. We are going to listen to an hour interview of someone, a historian and author, who seems to understand Putin's his motivation and the relationship between the United States and the Europeans and why he's acting the way he's acting and why he's willing to just bludgeon people and just kill babies, women and children, men, everyone, and just just unleashing hell, you know, hell at the, you know, at the level of Hitler and and Mussolini and Stalin, just kill people, man. Like if nothing, with no feeling whatsoever. And it plays for about 57 minutes, and I heard it today, and I was very moved by my patience, first of all, and I was waiting for the gotcha moment. I really was, because I, could, I couldn't really figure out by how he explained himself, if he was a liberal or conservative. But I could tell he was very uncomfortable when the questions were posed of Donald Trump's presidency, because they go through the Obama's presidency, they go through... Uh, Bush's presidency and his invasion of Iraq being a disaster that, that prompted a bunch of behavior problems for Putin who doesn't really start thinking this way because Boris Yeltsin's in power, right? So he has to wait his time. But Boris Yeltsin uh, approves of his heir, which was Vladimir Putin. I also want to. So I want to share quick, with Alejandro for him. I want to bring to, up a quick quote from Hitchens when you talk about um, Putin's faith. Um, it's just funny because Hitchens, Christopher is, Hitchens, cor- is, corre- Christopher, is correcting me, but Hitchens uh, is like a conspiracy, heavy in conspiracy, isn't he? No, Christopher Hitchens was a journalist, a British journalist back in the day. Um, he used to be a Trotskyite for a while, and then he kind of fell along some neoconservative allies. He was most noted. By many people, he, he got his biggest name out there being a very open advocate for atheism. Um, oh, okay. Kind All of right. like wrong, a guy. Atheism. wrong guy. Wrong guy. But it was funny because people really didn't forgive him for being a big backer of the Iraq war, um, which granted was a huge mistake. Um, he was a big term. He coined the big term Islamofascism, that he was a very big proponent of just, you know, the human race needs to wipe out um, religious states as a concept. Like that—that—that's something that is just going to be our next class of civilizations. Is, yeah, theocracies have to come down, yeah. in, like in Iran. But the biggest thing running he's, around with the mullah and ayatollah and adhering adhering to such strict norms that it's hard for the nation to move forward. But the the thing that he said that stuck with me the most um, was he was like this stupid yokel president when he was talking about Bush. It's like the stupid yokel president. He's sitting there with Putin who's a former KGB goon and Putin's just savvy enough to wear a cross around his neck. Yes. And 
when I looked into his eyes, I saw his soul. I, I looked in his eyes. I realized we could trust this man. Is what Bush said, <laughs> and it's like because he fell, f- and it's like we, he pretty KGB, much KGB, KGB, baby, this stupid yokel president yokel. fell for the I can't cross argue around with his neck, and it's it's funny because you know. Meanwhile, who, Putin, uh, Biden, by the way, made sure to tell Putin, I can see through your eyes, and you have no soul. <laughs> And what did Putin say? Good. Now we understand each other. Wow. Notice the contrast. And guess what? Biden's right. How in the hell did Biden, uh, how did the Bush see something in the man? Come on. He's the former. He's Ivan the Terrible in modern times. <laughs> but it, it, it's funny because you know who also kind of said that too? Was on the opposite um, with his other intellectual rival, which was Chomsky. Also said, um, was that self-proclaimed, or you're just you're no, saying- no? They did not get along. They were fighting all the time around before before Hitchens died. He was fighting with Chomsky quite a bit, especially during the war in Iraq. He was saying Chomsky had such a good record, but him not supporting this is really dumb. Like they were fighting a lot, but even Chomsky himself said Bush's dumbest mistake was I could trust you can trust this man. Shh. So it, 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 it's funny that it's a pretty big consensus now that's coming kind of into the states where we're finally like, yeah, it was really dumb to trust this guy. It was really dumb. Now, do you believe that the Putin uh, played a hand in the United States having to leave the way we did? Or, well, that's not, that's not an honest question because we haven't left yet, but uh, I got confused with us vacating Afghanistan. But do you think he's playing a hand to make life really miserable for us in Iraq? Because we haven't completely... I know in Syria they're there. I know in Syria... Yeah, but that was a favor to Trump in some bizarre way. Trump didn't want to go into Syria, even, you know, told him flat out, hey, you take care of Syria. I'm stuck here with these other two countries I'm trying to get out of. I mean, probably, it feels like the Russia that we see today is a spite-driven Russia. Yeah, they they obliviated Syria, man. They they held... Held back by to no one, man. They just gunned and bombed everything like they're doing to the Ukraine. It's a Russia that's not defined by a worldview, but out of spite for the West. Yeah. Like, that's something you're going to like in Timothy Snyder's interview. Yeah. He alludes to exactly that. I, I remember, um, if I can share one story before you put on I'm not the interrupting. No, I'm not, I wasn't going to do it today because okay, okay. you haven't listened oh, yeah. to it. Yeah. Because um, there's one thing that I, I do remember. In my philosophy department in college. Um, and it was how good um, Putin was really playing people who were feeling really disaffected with the United States as a world leader. And I had spent a lot of time... How in the hell? Because this was... Well, during- the only nation to invade you and give you back your lands. Because this In was, world history. This was the country... The hell's there not to like about us? This was during um, when Obama had promised that he was going to get out of Iraq, that he was going to close Gitmo. And I had campaigned for Obama, not old enough to vote for him. And I had felt and kind of that forget not being able to deliver your promises. This is like electing a guy who is like, I'm going to lower your taxes. So he did the next best thing. He, 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 he let five of them out, and now they're the leaders in the Taliban. Great. Well, he also increased several more darn strikes in military operations in other countries. So He, he was the king yeah. of, the, he was the ninja. So it was like... That's one thing I loved about Obama. Wake up every day. Hey, take that guy out. And one thing that I'll give conservative libertarians for is the defense of Julian Assange and um, 
What was the other? Well, that court it's, case it's Snowden. Is, that court case is being heard right now. And Snowden. Are you Obama, really responsible Obama, for what you post? Obama really hunted down these guys. Like he he was very clear that Snowden in particular was a criminal who needed to be punished. Um, which was something that I felt completely at odds with because I remember for the longest time, all the way down to the Bush administration, we were being told that the spying on American citizens wasn't happening yep. over and over and, and Rand, over. Rand Paul stood up about that. So to me, I felt like... I well, think he filibustered yeah. for the, about that, too. That, that's why I liked him for a bit. Um, but so it really felt like at this time, like, man, what's even the point of the United States? You know, we don't do... You know, we don't live up to any of our promises. And we don't tell the truth. We don't tell the truth. We don't even have the freedom to privacy anymore. Like, man, what's the point? And then, Patriot Act. Yeah. And then... Putin came out and he wrote a letter um, kind of against American exceptionalism, right? I remember this. And this was shortly after, this was two years after Gaddafi. And I remember everyone in the philosophy department passing around this letter with a sense of excitement that there was a world leader who was just out there willing to say that, like, no, the United States does not have some sort of province by God to be the chosen country to override everything. And yeah, a lot of people on the left. Yeah, but, but if not, a us lot who? of people on the left fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Like they did not realize that this was like a purely, purely cynical man, who was, you know, felt who who's really we see. I, I theorize is acting out of fear because I I do believe the. Well, can you blame him after nine eleven? Not no, not nine eleven. The killing of Gaddafi. Oh, what were you talking about? Sorry, a uh, uh, Putin. Putin's acting out of fear. But, but wait a minute. We, well, I don't know if we directly, I think we did, on the urging of France, but it was the United States and France who partaked in the Arab uprising and getting and taking Gaddafi out. What, what role did Putin and, and, play? And, 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 oh, Putin, because here's the thing. There, there were, I believe, reports that Putin was watching the... I guess the killing of Gaddafi. Oh, so that could be me next. Yeah, yeah. And he was with teary eyes saying, that could be me next. That's yes. going to be me next. This gentleman, uh, because Snyder. Because Gaddafi... You're almost as if you listen to Snyder, because he says uh, the same thing. I, 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 I follow, like, believe me, oh, I was a, in a very un- college full of very unambitious people. Oh, I was a hit with a lot of those guys <laughs> <laughs> when it came to all my geopolitical opinions that, like, they had no interest in. Um, but, yeah, no, you really kind of saw that he was the first to kind of position himself against the West. Like, he kind of introduced the West and non-Western world conflict that we kind of see today. I, I think Putin has his fingerprints all a lot of all over the current landscape that you see internationally right now. And yeah, but you got to exclude the, 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 far, the Far East. Well, China just knows better than not to play sometimes. They, they, well, they're playing with. They, yeah, they, they, they one just, thing I, one thing China, I have China to, is like the United States in World War One and Two, where they're like, man, like why get involved? We we took too long, absolutely. Well, but, why get involved? Uh, but I do beg to differ with you in the sense that China is the big beneficiary here because they know that the Russians are getting their butts licked in Ukraine and having to dedicate as much as they're, you know creating oblivion and mayhem and death and God knows how many more deaths are coming and starvation and terrible things are still coming 
China knows that 90% of Russia's military is being depleted as we speak. They're running out of men. They're running out of utilities. No, they're just sending they, everyone they can there. Everybody they can. Soon they're going to be sending women. And then eventually you're just going to see them dancing on the graves of other people because they only have women left. You know what really gets me? That nobody takes them out. You know what gets me is that they were traveling with a portable uh, crematorium Jeez. into the war. So they don't have to count the dead. So they don't even have to count the body count. Just burn them they up. They just burn them right on the spot. Like, yeah. I, to me, the worst moment was when they were shooting at, when they were shelling nuclear factories. No, how about they were asking Russians to dig trenches around Chernobyl and then they all got sick. They released all the, the, the sediment from years and years. That's going to be like East Palestine. Years and years from now, people are going to try to develop it or do something with it because people have vacated the neighborhood. And they're going to get sick again because all that stuff's in the dirt. Leave it to the Russians to make the whole world warm up to the United States again. <laughs> I, th- I think, what, I, quite frankly, uh, I believe that was Joe Biden. I don't think, uh, I think Putin, yeah, I think Putin put the icing on the cake. But most people, whether they like it or not, they felt relieved for only, what, a week or two that, Biden, that Trump was gone and then the nightmare started showing up. It's called. I, that, it's that, called that, the ticket at the gas pump. That that was one of the is when um, Trump went into when Trump drone stroke. It was a drone strike or was it like, what did he do in Syria? In Syria, all he he put about ten or fifteen thousand men. He occupied some towns. Uh, nobody has proof that he took any oil or anything like that. But he was trying to just take care of the Kurds who were being slammed hard by both Turkey and Syria. So that was his mission, protect the Kurds, who are our allies. The and Kurds really deserve their own country after everything they've been through. And they're and predominantly Greek Orthodox and Catholic. They, uh, they actually have... It's actually funny because they're, they're practically one of the most left-wing um, kind of cultures around that they were actually developing like a very almost anarchist state, if you will. Why, why would you say that? Because they, they were very open about this. You know that Biden was correct. The only foreign policy statement he ever made that I ever agreed with, he believed early on, he told this to McCain, that we should divide Iraq yeah. into three regions, Shiite, Sunni, Christian, and that they would get along somehow. And most people just said, oh, there goes another Bidenism. But the truth is, I knew in my gut that faith talks and the BS walks. The only problem with the argument is, it turns out the Kurds have all the water. And that could cause chaos. Resource management is huge. In in that region, my God, you've got the water, you're king. And you have the source of water where you can, you know, Make. Some people theorize that's why America was going to win long-term in the Cold War. Because we have the water. East Germany versus West Germany was not comparable. In terms of landscape. Not just landscape, but like all of the infrastructure, all of the better educated people were on the other side. Uh, Russia didn't get the good part of Germany at all. Oh, even before the wall, the Berlin Wall yeah. was... People don't realize, folks, that in the Berlin Wall, it's a little circle in the middle of East Germany. People don't think it's, a, they think it's on the border. It's not. It's miles into East Germany is Berlin, a huge city with a wall around it. I don't know how much of that wall is still around. Is it just pieces in the right place, I, but the wall's like kept us in memory? I, or? 
I don't know, actually. Um, I know one of the walls was kept in the museum. Also here in New York. That was in D.C. Oh, in D.C. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Because I remember Helmut Man, Kohl. Is that not the biggest trophy for the United States? You had to get that's the, like That's like going to like your enemy's funeral. At least the biggest trophy for Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Tear down this wall. And you know how many times he took that out of the speech? How many? Three times. And he still put it in there. He put it right back in there, verb, you know, verbatim, because he was it was his, and he so he had to memorize it in his head. Mr. Gorbachev, if you really believe in the freedom of uh, people, and you really believe in reconciliation, tear down this wall. How good was I? No, yeah, that was close. But tear down this wall. Nah, he was much more handsome than that. Well, well. I've just signed legislation that makes Kosovo illegal. We begin bombing. <laughs> well, that was Clinton. Do you remember that? That was Clinton, though. No, that, um, that was, um, he made a joke that, that we were going to do a war before starting a speech. Wait and a people second. panicked. Yeah, Reagan remind, remind, remind us. Yeah, let me pull that up. Uh, which honestly might be my favorite thing Reagan ever did. That, that might have endeared me to Nah, him. come on. He had some great comedic moments, man. He make people laugh their brains out. When I remember the one that I posted recently, that I uh, I'm trying to remember who was the uh, Sam Donaldson, total dirtbag, liberal oh, ABC here reporter. We go, here we go. Americans, I'm pleased to tell you today that I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We begin bombing in five minutes. Wow. <laughs> so was it Kosovo? It was yeah, yeah, no, it, it was, was Russia. Russia. Yeah, no. Well, that. Uh, yeah, he he was he was this funny man, and Sam Donaldson go well. There's an impasse over the budget with the Democrats. You believe some of it's your fault? And Reagan said simply, "Of course, some of it is my fault. I used to be a Democrat." <laughs> That's Perfect. Good. And that was the most viral video I've ever had because since I copy and paste it from obviously history, it was a video already cut and pasted. I just added at the end. Soon as that comment's made and there's laughter, it, it cuts to black. Where I post a meme of mine that says, "Watching Reagan throw his hat in the ring is like watching Marino throw a football," and I got 3,500 likes in less than a month. That's as big as I got. <laughs> and like you know, tooting my own horn because you know my viral videos in my head only go to 450, 500. 300, 250, but over a long period of time, you know, it's not anything fast, fast moving. And uh, I continue to generate my videos. I'm at 254, 255, 256 on Mac on the Rock Rampage on YouTube. And uh, most of the time it's me uniquely positioning my phone into the TV, criticizing the news, speaking out loud. Editing it in a fashion which suits me to get it under 15 minutes because I don't think people listen to those type of videos for longer than 15 minutes. So most of them are 7, 12, 15, 4, 5. And they're supposed to be meaningful. And I could care less if they go viral or not. I at least hope, given the Ukraine situation, that Russia comes to its senses and retreats. Well, not. But it's... I think that would have happened already at this point. He wants blood. 
he he wants to be on the doorstep of a NATO country. He wants Ukraine for himself. He wants to die peacefully in bed. That that line I stole from Thomas Snyder, who I heard this morning, he's ringing a bell. He's very, very, very articulate in his case for the mind of Vladimir. We poked the bear many times. He talks about, based on questions he was asked, he talks many times about different politicians, Hillary, Obama, and Biden. God, Hillary's got to be... They, they all spoke in universities in Russia proclaiming uh, freedom, and that annoyed the hell out of uh, Putin. And in other words, you come to my territory, I allow you to give these speeches, and then you do that to me? So, You know what was the weirdest, earliest political memory I've ever had? Which, uh, when I was really, really aware of stuff, would have to be when um, I'm a Jimadat. Went over to a university. Of Iran, Prime Minister. Uh, yeah, Prime Minister of Iran went over to an American university, and there was a big outrage from the right. Right, like they're like, you can't do this. We're like, you know, why are you doing giving a platform for our enemies? And it was really funny because some of the students actually standed up to him, right? Um, and they're like, what about your treatment of homosexuals? And then he said. Oh, we don't have gay people in Iran. They don't yeah, exist. I threw, them, I threw them all off the building. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, we don't have this here. And then at the weird part at the end, the guy who organized it was like, frankly, thank you for coming, but I frankly feel we could have done better. And then I remember watching O'Reilly and just kind of being completely on board with him, which was that like, why did they do that if they invited him in the first place? You know, like, why go through all of that if you're just going to like belittle him at the end like you know be consistent well you know there's a conflict of consistency and telling someone straight up in their face the truth that as you see it is also an american ideal so you're, you're free to come here but we're gonna get some pushback i i, 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 I think heard the students saying that but the guy who organized the thing very the rare i'm really surprised that that men in that day and age would even uh, put a fight up against him. But I also, now that you said that, I am reminded of Obama's excellent speech, oftentimes using Farsi accents in his speech, at the Cairo University. And he made a promise that he did not keep and it cost lives. He implied that we don't fear, we're here with you, we don't fear uh, those who oppose you. We don't fear them. And had the strength to rise up, and Tehran rose up. And then he was nowhere to be found. He could have moved troops from Iraq that were already there. He could have moved them to the Iranian border and created real ruckus in Tehran. And he didn't. And I said, oh, my God, like I'm feeling right now, Biden, oh, my God, Cold War president. A friend of mine told me that, and it's coming true. He could get reelected on this one. People love that he blew up the, 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 the Nord Stream pipeline. People love that he approved it and disapproved it. That's Cold War stuff. Shows up there. The senior man standing over a short young guy in Zelensky, and who's also Jewish, and making a big deal of that. That's enough. 
to get reelected. I believe. It doesn't matter what the I think Trump right now has done the best single political move. Yeah, with the East Palestine. Exactly. Like, I I think that does it. He's going to win the Republican primary again. Because say what you will about Trump and some of his attitudes. His natural place. I'm going to make a sweeping statement about a lot of people. No, don't sweep, bro. Is that most a lot of people who get into kind of the upper echelon attitudes of politics in this country, they look at the suffering of your everyday American and... They blame it all on Biden. They blame it on the people who are suffering. And I think at least Trump... Nah, that's a stretch, man. No, I, I really do think this. Nah. I, I remember... Okay, this is, I know that rich people look down on poor people at times wondering, why don't you guys get out of it? Well, yeah. Remember when Obama's but speech that's to not Flint, Michigan? True, totally. Remember when Obama's speech to Flint, Michigan? They thought that he was going to come and help them. But and, the water. Yeah. And then he was like, I, I, I was eating the paint chips off the wall and I was okay as a kid. Like just completely, ooh, that's patronizing. Nothing, like to a whole. Well, Biden's doing nothing for East Palestine. Exactly, and and it's there's no money, no nothing, no cleanup, nothing. I I, put it all on the railroad company. Hopefully, they deliver. I I I really, and I think that Trump just kind of understands the impulse and the thought process of your average person a lot better than the rest of them do. Well, there are military people who are going over there on their own free time because they feel like it. Retired military guys from Vietnam, Korea. And they're doing soil samples themselves. But they're aligned with the people who are supporting them most are these consortiums of uh, tapped and capped wells in the area of East Palestine and Amish property on the other side, on the west, on the western Pennsylvania side, and they believe that there's oil, and therefore they're asking people to get the hell out of East Palestine ultimately because you're going to get sick anyway, and they grab these lands for cheap. They pay for them for pennies on the dollar because their properties are going to are going to be worthless. Who in the hell would buy real estate in East Palestine now? Commercial the only or thing residential. Is that I feel like you know, except pretty, for some guy who thinks there's something underneath the ground. East Palestine's pretty poor, right? It is very poor. So it's like it feels like that would be a very. We used to gr- be the capital of American China. You, that feel like that'd be a very Dishware, grateful population glassware. to work at a low wage. Just the only. Did I just thing. say American China? I mean China, like in silverware, like you know, like in ceramic plates, glasses. That's what I thought you meant, but I'm, thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> yeah, and I was a little tidbit I just heard on newsreel. I stole it from somewhere on TV. Uh, where East Palestine was known for making dishes, uh, ceramic dishes and cups and teacups and stuff like that. And that obviously is now made in China. So it's China so, went to China. Our China went to China. But it's really something that I, I think about a bit is that, and that's why I kind of, I feel the need to be passionate and get in, involved in politics is because I really do, and I, I've seen this a lot in a lot of New York, D.C. and Miami like, a lot of people just don't care about the stuff that happens to poor people. Like, it's almost like a spectacle of suffering. Like, these are things that they can watch and go, oh, that's awful, and move on. And there's one thing to say when I feel like... Yeah, we're desensitized as a society. Yeah, like, I feel like it's one thing when I see it in a foreign country, right? Because it's like... 
well, what the hell do I do there? You know, like, what the hell do I do about, like, what is the politics of a, when something happens in, like, Fukuyama um, back in Japan around 2010, like, what the hell am I supposed to do about that? Like, please I, tell the audience. So Fukuyama, there was a, who, there was Fukuyama, a so the Fukuyama. Hell? There was a nuclear power plant that was built on a fault line. Uh, and it got that, hit by the tidal wave. It got it got hit and that spread. But like, old you know where that stuff ended up, and we ate fish yeah. from there. Yeah, it's called it the West Coast. West Coast, yeah. And I remember eating seafood, saying, "Oh my God, I don't even. I don't know where this fish is coming from. I don't know where this shrimp is coming from. I know it wasn't lobster." But oh my God, I'm eating this nuclear this nuclear seafood, and nobody even thought about it because they just hushed it up, because the great nuclear war was based on a fear of an atomic bomb, which is equal to that Fukuyama power plant. Did I say that right? Yeah. It getting toppled like that, and all that cool, all that water floating over. Like a, I heard it took two weeks to get to the west coast of the United States. What did that do to the seafood underwater? What did it do? We don't know. We consumed all the fish. They kept on fishing out there no matter what. And another example of government just now. And I guess I want Why to, alert us? What for? Just let us know. And I want to finish on the last part was is that like when when, when this is America though. When this is like what, not how even do you your pre- backyard, how do you, it's how do you, your house. How do you uh, spell Fuka Fukuyama? Because I'm going to Google see if I can find something. I might be saying Francis Fukuyama's name, last name instead, uh, who is a philosopher. Well, we got to get this right, you know, because uh. people are, are uh, you know, it says Fukuyama reaction. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Fukuyama reaction. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, organic chemistry model sets for er- every budget backed by uh, no, not that. Uh, Francis Fukuyama on the war in Ukraine. That doesn't help us. No, that's not it. I, I found it here. It's called the 2011 Tokuhu earthquake and tsunami. Okay. I don't know why I got that name from. Well, there is a there is a guy who's named Francis Fukuyama, and he has Fukushima. Fukushima. No, Fukuyama. Fukuyama. Uh, and he talks about liberalism in crisis. I don't know exactly. No, that, 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 that's yeah, that's someone else. Yeah. Oh, I would like to talk about him because it's forward with Andrew Yang in mind, who ran for president, who some guy, uh, some freak on Fox just declared he's going to run for president. The guy who wrote the book Woke. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I, I got it. I was looking up the wrong thing. Yeah, it was the Fukushima. It was the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Okay, you got a little video you can play? Uh, no. Why not? I, I found the article. Come on, man. We, so, no, is, yeah, so this is what I was talking listen about. Just listen to audio, man. Yeah, man, come on. Yeah, come on. Go for it. Now I have to find something. Uh, because I'm just trying to search to get the thing right. Come on, man. What's up? What's going but on? But yeah, don't. Oh no, I I really do remember. I was hanging out with. Oh no, like I remember hanging out with a lot of people growing up. Like you know, isn't there something we can do about poverty? And the attitude's always like, yo, it sucks, but like, you you there's know what? Nothing we should do what's about. What's up with your likes today? You're like all out liked. Bro, is it is it something in the chewing gum you had today or what? 
Because, you know, I have a pet peeve about like, 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 like all the time. And I criticize my daughter. But it's like, it's like, it's like. I mean, what's up with the like? It's just how we were raised. Like, that was the culture. No, your parents didn't throw likes into your vocabulary. The culture that surrounded me with, like, was the residue of the Gen X indifference culture. So anytime you're pausing for a thought, you say like. No, it's not that I pause for a thought. It's I'm trying to bring up a comparison. I'm trying to... So instead of saying, uh, you go, yeah, like. I so try- the audience, if they like the like, we'll keep on liking the like. It's better than like, it, it, uh. I'm searching for an analogous situation. And it, when I say analogous, that sounds a lot more pretentious. That's okay. Fine. It's better than like. If it annoys you that much, okay. If you can say, uh, yeah, if you can say uh, consistently, I'd be for it. Because if I say like, I, I'm hoping you catch me on it because I would hate to repeat like all the time, like a, a like, 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 because it's like a pause to think of the next word. So it lacks deliberation. I like deliberate. I like being deliberate. I like people being deliberate with me. And say, it, buddy, get it out. Don't bounce, don't bounce around. Go be, straight to it, please. Pete Buttigieg should really be out of a job. No, nah, they won't fire him. But it, this is just his track record. Like, he's a good orator. Like, okay, the guy should have a radio show, not a career in politics. He should have another child and go away. He sh- he, he, yeah, he should have, like, a raising radio show. Raising one kid is easy. Try he, raising two. You know? He should not be in politics. Like, the guy did not have a good record in South Bend. Yeah, he was, yeah he, I heard he picked all the potholes. That he was like, he was the man. There he, was a pothole, Pete would fix it. Was that why they gave him transportation? I think that's... He's it, really bad at handling, kind of... Nah, he's he's self-serving. He just doesn't want to be up here f- so that there's video taken. He's unafraid him. to make enemies. It, like it, It's even He like, really thinks he, he's going to be president. Yeah, he's, he's really thinks he's going to be president, and he's really afraid he of making it. Can't win enemies. not even his own home state, please. Oh man, you know what's the Haley, best? I don't even think Nikki Haley can win South Carolina. Do you? I mean, like her her background was pretty much a UN advisor, right? Well, she was governor. She was around during terrible times when the massacre occurred in the church. She apparently left surplus in South Carolina, but she also was accustomed to reading her own press and assumed she was going to higher office. And uh, she got pretty high, you know. Trump selected her from the United Nations. I think she did it fantastic. Trump's the only one who's going to win because Trump's the only one who promises things. Trump's the only one who recognizes that people's living conditions can suck. Like, Trump is the only person who's wrapped his head around this. And I, I got to be real with you. Someone who does not like Trump, that concerns Wait, wait, wait. I don't know what to do. Wait a second here. I'm nervous. Go ahead. I'm, As I'm someone str- who does not like Trump, that concerns the hell out of me. Like, it's he's the only person who knows how to, like, look at things. Like, does Ron DeSantis really think people are going to give a crap about his, like, stop woke act? The, on, ha- like, a the, public- house of, the house of cards is getting ready to fall. Oh, my. Dude, the guy, like, had one... Shoot back at Trump and has said nothing else. Like, thanks to scientists for like ruining everything here, so you can lose to Trump later. Palin even told him, "Don't bother running." 
I I said Kaylin just told him, "Don't bother running. Get off the stage now." I believe that DeSantis shouldn't run either. I believe he's young enough to wait it out. I believe he has a mission anyway, which is to be governor of Florida. He's the right wing Pete Buttigieg. Nah, come on, man. The only difference is that Buttigieg is open. The taste is awful. One guy has a taste for another man, and the other one has taste for a beautiful woman. Nothing. I, I implied that DeSantis was a closet case. Oh, <laughs> that's tacky. I know him. I know him personally. He's, he's quite a. He's, he's quite a manly man. You remember Navy Seal? He's been through a lot. He knows that he can endure a lot of things. Navy Seal people, but you got to take your hats off them. They make them go through hell and high water. I mean, it, they go through hell, man, to be a Navy Seal and be a, a Navy Jag. I don't know what more to say because I'm sure there, there's some relief. The guy who saw torture uh, in Gitmo. Yeah, he supervised it probably, and he also protected its yeah, commanders no, from getting. I, I don't respect that. Like I, I respect I, that I, highly. I understand. Here's my here's my feelings, and I said this. I don't this. have feelings when it comes to terrorists. Once you catch them, they're fighting you. When you caught them, once you put them down over there, and that's the problem. Though, is really... that a lot of these types were a lot of the guys captured were innocent. Okay, so we were we were torturing innocent people. Demanding oh, questions so that they could the, not you're answer. You're doing the Geneva Convention thing on us. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a terrorist force. It wasn't. Uh, was an armed uh, uh, army uh, that was ordered to do things. It was. It was. I don't know. A bunch of heretics running around. Well, it's it's okay what went on in tra- uh, in Guantanamo because we get motion from property. A lot of people like to have motion from property. And not have to work and have the, uh, the air conditioning paid for. That was life in Guantanamo. What else did we make them do? That was really hard. The waterboarding stuff? They, 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 they get, did stuff. They did were they some, all get waterboarding? There were some CIA reports of stuff that I can't really mention on the air. Like poking, like uh, like, uh, poking eyeballs and... Oh, I could see that being uh, very effective. Yeah. Or they end up liking... <laughs> Because, you know, they, they have those relationships with young boys and stuff. So, you know, I remember there was, uh, I wish I could remember the name, but there was a soldier who took someone out who was violating a young boy. And that was a huge problem in Afghanistan. Yeah. Is that we had, and the superior a lot of troops, says, hey, man, that's their norms. You can't, lot, you can't impose yeah, your norms a lot of on troops, them. A lot of what do you mean? He did this, he did that. He a goes, lot of troops were reporting this, op- and the uh, army was just brushing it aside, but a lot of troops... We're letting us know that they felt really demoralized with the kind of people that we were allowing up there. We were pretty much warlords who just had, like, boy harems. was a big, big problem. And I, I kind of remembered this because I was arguing with, um, with a liberal friend. And they were like, well, you, you, can't, you can't possibly say that, like, oh, we were not the bad guy in this situation. And it was like, that's the problem with the, uh, some of these wars is that sometimes there's not a good guy. And in the eyes of the inhabitants of Afghanistan we were just an equal to the Taliban because yeah we were an invading force just like they were so it's like listen like I I know it hurts to hear I know it sucks to kind of and we were bigger and taller and we looked really (laughs) alien to them that I I know it sucks to feel like you know 
a lot of people had a really good will about a war, which is, if you don't know what a war is, that's the only way you can have goodwill about a war. You know, we didn't, we weren't the good guys in the eyes of the people. They, they probably don't like the Taliban, but they're yeah, probably but not. Yeah, but you're also, you're also doing broad sweep because you're saying all the people. No, man. There's certain That sex- government fell immediately. People were not willing to die for that government. Uh, that also have in Afghanistan. Yeah, that, that's what it is. That, oh, that's mean. That's what you mean. When yeah, we, it, it's when like we a, left, they they all left. Yeah, pretty much. Like no one was invested in that project that we had set up. This, this yeah, wasn't, Afghanistan was an issue be, only because it was a money laundering in the front of a war. It was money laundering in the front of a war. Imagine how many of them stole our money, man! My yeah. God, all that aid, all that. Uh, you know, fiber optic installation. You want to talk about wasteful government spending? I, I, I got some places that I'd like to cut with you. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. You know, yeah. let's change the subject. You know, what the hell? You know, we've beaten this down. I'm dying to play Andrew Yang here and the Yukahama. Yang is another guy not cut out for politics. Yeah. Y- he, Yang he, is like, here's the thing. This is advice for anyone who wants to get into politics in the post, especially in the post-Trump world. Bush Jr. was really nasty off the record. Um, was Clinton nasty off the record? He was before my time, so I don't remember. Uh, I don't think he's known for being a foul mouth guy or anything. No. Um, Obama. He was a dirty dog. Don't Obama get me wrong. could really humiliate his p- opponents. Obama and Biden are really good at, like, when they want to make you look stupid, they'll make you look stupid. Like, if you don't have a nasty bone in your body, you are not cut out for politics. Oh, no, wait. Pete is, Pete does to have that. He made Amy Klobuchar cry. Oh, remember that? I don't. He, yeah, he made Amy Klobuchar cry. I can pull that up. I remember that. He made Amy cry. Uh, what was it? What was the attack? That uh, was it an insensitive she, attack? She, no, no. She could not name the president of a country. I think it was here. Oh wow, that's kind of petty. Oh well, well. I want to listen to Andrew Yang. Go ahead. No, it's too long. I'll cut it off when there's a part about liberalism and its failures that I'm dying to get to. But I think Andrew Yang talks about, introduces this gentleman, Yuka Fukuyama. Let's see what happens here. Now, and the author of 10 books, including his latest liberalism and its discontents, Frank... Fukuyama, Francis Fukuyama, technically. Welcome, Frank. How are you? Uh, very good, Andrew. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure. I quoted you in my last book. Uh, I've been an admirer of yours intellectually for a long time. But in, in my last book, I quoted you as saying America uh, is in danger of becoming what you called a vitocracy, which is that I can't do anything, but I can keep you from doing anything. <laughs> right. Yeah, so political scientists uh, talk about uh, political systems and how they differ from one another from country to country so in terms of how many veto points hearings. there are. I think that this is experience... to say these blocking uh, uh, provisions in constitutions and in law that allow people to stop things, but not necessarily to do positive things. And uh, the United States has a lot more than other democracies. And uh, I think we've seen our system kind of freeze up over the last few years uh, because of them. Yeah, we have more choke points, uh, as you pointed out in some of your earlier books. And I get the sense that the focus of your thinking has shifted over time. 
um, there was a period when liberalism, classical liberalism seemed ascendant in the world um, X number of years ago, and then it has essentially been in decline uh, for the last number of years. When do you, is that fair to say? And when do you think that that decline started? Uh, yeah, I think that it really picked up steam in the middle of the second decade of the 21st century. Uh, and it was attacked right uh, from both the right and the left. The, the one from the right is one we're pretty familiar with. You have all these populist nationalist politicians all over the world from Viktor Orban in Hungary to Donald Trump in this country who um, basically are not liberal. And by liberal, uh, I don't mean liberal in the American sense of progressive or left of center. I mean it in a classical sense where individual rights, uh, equal individual rights are protected by a rule of law and by constitutional checks and balances. And the common characteristic of these um, populists is that they admire strong men that aren't constrained by these kinds of checks and balances. Uh, and that's why I think a lot of them actually admire Vladimir Putin, because he's a kind of archetype of a strong man who doesn't have to listen to anybody before he makes a decision, invades a neighboring country, you know, uh, so forth. And um, that critique, you know, of liberalism says, you know, liberal societies are weak, they're indecisive, they don't set higher goals for themselves, uh, and so forth. But I also think that there's a problem on the left, because one of the core values of a liberal society is tolerance uh, and freedom of speech. And those principles have been under attack by a lot of progressives who, uh, you know, they, they claim that they want to protect diversity, but it's a, only a certain kind of diversity having to do with race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, uh, diversity in political opinions, diversity in attitudes towards religion or certain kinds of values. They don't, <laughs> they don't uh, want to protect so much. And I think there you've seen also uh, an attack on uh, liberal values and institutions. And so I think both the left and the right have kind of converged in saying that liberalism is passe. You know, that was the baby boom generation believed in that. But, you know, we want something different. Yeah. And, and, and those are the key ideas in your book, Liberalism and Its Discontents. You define. Go ahead. What do you want to say? Um, his big claim to fame was shortly kind of before 9-11. Um, very complicated subject. Um, Hegel was a philosopher of the German Empire. Long story short, he believed in kind of the end of history. Fukuyama made the claim that after the Cold War, that we had gotten there. And that the only problem going forward were going to be instances of terrorism. So that means he predicted that correctly. On some level, but I think what we've kind of seen is the rejection of... Because after the Cold War, yeah. terrorism took off. But I mean, terrorism always exists. It didn't start. But what we kind of seen but is this rejection... accelerated. The rejection of liberalism that I would say even the right wing has some good opposition to is the right wing is... Um, and the left wing are in cahoots in an opposition to liberalism, that liberalism very much is credentialist. It's very much only concerned with the winners. And I think the sort of liberalism that I'm talking about... That means about, you're guilty because you claim Biden won. Gotcha. 
No, but I mean in who it provides for. Ah, better said. In who it provides for. And we can kind of see, and I, I'm kind of struck by this in East Palestine, after, especially after what we've also seen in Flint, Michigan, which is funny because, like, the attitude is kind of the same. And what's interesting here is that, like, you know, a lot of conversations try to divide us with, like, black or white in this country historically. But the response has almost been the same, which is go back, go back to work, stop asking questions. There's not going to be a lot of aid. Uh, depends who's saying that. I know that the right says it all the time. Hey, go back to work, get over it, water under the bridge, put your past behind you, and make something of yourself. Uh, we're trying to facilitate as much individual liberty as possible so that the government doesn't decide the winners and the losers. Uh, from that standpoint, I, I agree with you. But the left doesn't do that. Hey, sit back, relax, we're going to get you some aid. We're going to help you out. And you tell us when you no longer want our help. And you know that help continues and continues decades after decades. So we're going to go back. I mean, there, there, one thing I'll say is that there is a truth about a lot, a lot of left-wing ideology that is quickly summed up by a Karl Marx quote, which is, you know, when it comes for our turn, we will not apologize for the terror. And what this is kind of an acknowledgement of is that... Eventually we'll get our share. Is Collectively. Politics is really ruthless. It's not... It's about making friends in some way, but it's also about getting rid of your enemies. No, or keeping your enemies real close. I mean, that's the thing, though, is this compromise... Remember Robert Reich? Remember Robert Reich? the, The famed economist for Bill Clinton? That, oh yeah, that cockroach. That guy was accused of plagiarism all the time when he wrote his book. But one thing he said that was really valuable. He said that Washington D.C. is the only place that they stab you in the front. Yeah, that was good. Here we go, Andrew Yang. He's back. Find classical liberalism. Uh, as rule of law and free media and checks and balances and uh, a lot of these institutions of democracy that America has uh, benefited from over the last number of, of generations. And now those institutions are very much being threatened. And you characterize the threats as coming from both sides, but in different ways. And I, I thought that your book was in some ways an incredible summation <laughs> of what a lot of people are thinking about, but didn't put it in as sophisticated language uh, as, as you have. So let, let's retrace that argument a little bit. Uh, so sure. where did the classical liberal tradition uh, come from originally? Well, it's very old. Uh, it really originated in the middle of the 17th century after Europe's wars of religion, you know, following the Protestant Reformation, Protestants and Catholics spent the next 150 years killing each other all over Europe over, you know, questions like transubstantiation is the, you know, is the bread and wine, the actual body of Christ or a representation of uh, his blood and body. Uh, And, you know, at the end of that period, a lot of liberal thinkers said, maybe we shouldn't be killing each other over these uh, visions of the good life, maybe we should just protect life itself. 
And so the right to life that is in the Declaration of Independence, you know, really comes from that belief that it's basically just life itself that needs to be protected in a regime that tolerates uh, a variety of visions of, of the good life. Uh, in the 19th and 20th centuries, instead of religion, it became nationalism, you know, these very uh, aggressive uh, uh, assertions of national identity that said that one group is superior to another group and could conquer uh, other peoples and repress uh, ethnic groups within their own society. Uh, and again, in 1945, you know, people said, well, uh, maybe that's not such a great way to organize uh, at least Europe. Uh, maybe we should have a liberal order in which tolerance and rule of law protects the rights of everybody, regardless of what group they're uh, a member of. And so, you know, it, it went wrong uh, at several points in history. Uh, and we come back to liberalism in the end because it is a way of managing diverse societies. Uh, so you have these classical liberal traditions that arise in Europe and that uh, America very much codifies uh, in, in its founding documents, or at least tries to. I mean, you know, like you characterize that look like, like our thinking has evolved certainly since, <laughs> since, since the Declaration of Independence and the, the Constitution. Um, but the fundamentals, the foundations have been in place really over that time. And now there is a, a breakdown in the confidence and faith in these institutions on both sides, but the, the attacks or misgivings are somewhat different on each side. Um, so on the right side, you have uh, this Trumpist populism is one version, but you also have conservatives who feel like their values are being threatened by what they see as activist institutions. Yeah, it's a, it's a mixture of things. I think that many conservatives uh, really want a society in which there's more consensus over basic religious values. And so you know, the national conservatives now, these are the intellectuals that are trying to put this into a more theoretical framework, say that every society needs a dominant religious uh, set of beliefs. And, you know, in a way, liberalism arose because nobody could agree what that dominant set of values were. And, uh, you know, it's really kind of rolling the clock back several centuries to say that we are going to have, uh, you know, this one set of goals to which we're headed. Um, but, you know, that's one of the problems with a liberal society, because it doesn't set these higher goals. Uh, people feel that there's kind of a lack in their life of uh, a sense of community, a strong sense of community that will bind them to their fellow citizens. And I think that's one of the things that's that's driving us. I think in the American context and in other European countries, there's something else, which is that there's a feeling that they personally are being devalued. They're not being respected. If you're kind of working class white guy uh, that's lost uh, his job um, uh, over the last few years or is working, you know, flipping hamburgers instead of working in a steel plant or an auto factory, uh, you know, that person feels like the society doesn't value his labor the way it valued that of his father or his grandfather. Uh, and it's very easy in those circumstances to blame uh, other people for that situation, particularly because in America right now, there are a lot of people who are doing really well. You know, you go to Wall Street or you go to uh, Stanford University, where I am, or Silicon Valley, and there's you know a lot of billionaires that 
have made a tremendous amount of money. And so I think a lot of the resentment has to do with that inequality that has emerged that uh, give uh, a lot of advantages to a certain class of people and their children, but uh, really aren't extended to you know, the whole of the society. Well, I, I like to lay in there because I find it quite flippant, uh, the issues of race. I think liberalism, yeah, has created a, uh, an ambiance or a society that allows for tolerance because we can't find an order of things faith-based. And I believe that that's not true. As long as it's Judeo-Christian, for the most part, for the, for the most part. A word invented in the 50s. Okay, I don't care when it's invented. I invented a word called the progressive virus just 2014. And, you know, that's what the Urban Dictionary is for. Inventive word and eventually gets into Webster's. What It doesn't really matter what it is. As long as it, it is a recognized as based on Judeo-Christian ethics and values. You're free to be Muslim here in the United States. You're free to be Jewish. You're free to be Buddhist. But the virtues and principles behind the law, like, you know, why some states don't execute and, and some states do, are based in an interpretation of a Judeo-Christian value. He touched upon it in the sense that life itself was predominant in the in the United States. Therefore, we don't execute you because you killed somebody. We have to find you... Uh, premeditated murder in order to execute you. That is a Judeo-Christian ethos. But guess what? The liberalism that he's talking about allows us to rationalize about life in the womb, which we are free to terminate at any time. Sometimes as far and as late as the sixth and seventh month in partial that occurs during partial birth abortions. So I don't really like how brief it was. I don't know. I, it, I, I think he's kind of spot on with what's happened from a liberal perspective. But I really, I, I think about a quote a lot that came from one of my favorite, like he was a comedian, but he does a political podcast. Um, and his name was Felix Bitterman. And I want to give full credit here. Is that... And I, I think it really sums up why we're pushing against this. It's when you say we liberals, leftists, leftists. Because I, 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 I have liberal. You're not a classical liberalist. No, absolutely not. I, I, yeah. So, is that for your generation? You guys kind of rallied behind authority after 9/11, but for us, you know. Our biggest moment of political meaning, our biggest moment, was the financial crisis and bailouts of CEOs. Letting the banks off. Yeah. That, Which I talked about yeah. in our last show. That how how Obama refused to to perse uh, persecute, prosecute it anyone. Works, it works. Persecute, prosecute. Okay. Um, and for us, it just kind of felt like a... A rig. A, a, like, the system is rigged on a You mean like elections are different? Ah, just kidding. Go no, ahead. You don't, you don't um, have to answer. It, it's know. fine. You, you, you can say nonsense from time to time, <laughs> and I tolerate it. Um, 
like it, it just kind of gave a sense of there's something off in America, and it feels like a lot of younger people rich getting richer. A lot of younger people I know just feel like fixated on this, and they they haven't really explored it within themselves. I see, so they're very sad about the state of things, even if things might improve. There is just a general feeling that the United States does not punish you if you are well-connected. Like, that yeah. is the sentiment. I know that in criminal court, if you get caught with a bunch of grass and your parents are not connected, you're going to do some time. If you are connected with a good attorney and and the courts believe that you're not a threat to society or that you'll continue on your way, in other words, you'll continue to deal... Chances are they'll give you probation, and that's about it. So let's listen to a little bit more so we have more commentary here. We're practicing for this Thomas Snyder hour we're going to have on Monday. Wait a second here. Guess what just came out on paperback? It's Forward, out on October 4th. You can buy it in any bookstore near you, and if you use the promo code YANG, you get absolutely nothing. This is your chance if you are waiting for a cheaper version <laughs> of the book. It's out October 4th. Pre-order it. I really am proud of this book. Uh, it, it's something that you have to read to believe. All right. Forward out on paperback. Thank you, everyone. Um, uh, in part because of a series of uh, academics who've made... Uh, postmodernist arguments that have then coalesced into a contemporary version of identity politics that at least is prevalent in certain contexts. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's right. I think that there's a liberal form of identity politics that says that people are should be treated as individuals and judged as individuals, but uh, the society looks at the color of their skin or their gender and treats them differently. Uh, and therefore, the liberal society never lives up to its promise of equal treatment. And therefore, uh, you know, what we want to do is just make that liberal society really uh, live up to its own ideals. And that, I think, is is fine. I, I don't see any complaint, you know, that you can make about that as a, as a liberal, because the fact of the matter is, you know, as you alluded to in 1789, when the Constitution is ratified, the only people who could vote were white men with property. And so this equal, you know, the, the human equality in the Declaration wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't remotely the reality in the United States. Uh, and so that's a liberal version of identity politics, where identity is simply a tool for mobilization. But I think what's happened in a lot of contemporary uh, societies, particularly in the U.S., is that people move on to say, well, actually the, that fixed characteristic like your race or your gender is so important uh, and it's so essential that that's the most important thing that defines you as a human being and not who you are uh, uh, as an individual. And the society needs to treat you based on that group that you're a member of and not uh, as an individual. And I think that's where it starts to undermine liberal principles because you know, liberalism asserts the universal dignity of all human beings, not dependent on what group they're a member of, but, you know, simply because they're human beings. And, you know, as a practical matter, that means that a lot of progressives, um, you know, will argue that just being white uh, 
you know, means that you're in a position of permanent uh, privilege. And because you can't really remediate that, uh, you know, you have to kind of reverse the hierarchy and, and privilege other people. And I think that's not uh, the best way to organize a society. Yeah, and that, that's something that I think people are struggling with right now, where you have a very legitimate. So I, I went to Brown University and um, I was steeped in the civil rights era language uh, that that was then applied to other communities of color. Certainly, there there's this idea of a civil rights movement that grows to encompass uh, sexual orientation, uh, Asians and Latinos, pretty much anyone who's in a marginalized group. And, and because our paradigm is very much around the civil rights era, everyone says, oh, like we should have a movement to try and uh, achieve equality for, for each of these groups. Um, so that's the way I was trained academically, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, there, there's been an evolution since then um, where now, instead of arguing for a particular policy, um, you are now uh, saying that all of the institutions are so irredeemably uh, racist uh, or sexist that it's difficult to find um, like a, a policy that's being advocated for individually um, which would be in your sense, like a lib like a liberal thing to do is to say, hey, look, like I, I can, uh, you know, like the, the institutions are, are not working. So let's argue it out institutionally. Um, but now there's this this other intellectual movement that's actually undermining liberal institutions uh, by saying that the group is more important than the individual. I'm defined by the group I belong to. And these institutions are unable to uh, actually uh, reform themselves meaningfully. Yeah. That's, no, that's right. I mean, basically, the argument that, well, so critical theory has become a meaningless word because conservatives have picked it up as this big boogeyman, but it does have a serious uh, intellectual history uh, as a critique of liberalism. And, you know, uh, many of the uh, more serious versions of critical theory said uh, basically that, you know, your society claims to be liberal, but it's actually kind of a facade and that underneath that profession of equal treatment is actually the dominance of some groups by other groups. Uh, and that that's the reality. It's really those, um, those hidden elites that are stacking the deck, using the language of equality, of liberal equality to fool everybody into thinking that they live in a just society, but uh, they're actually not, that it's a deeply unjust one. And uh, you can't use liberal techniques to, you know, to to correct uh, a structure that is stacked against, you know, uh, these marginalized people, and that's the um, that's the assertion that I I find very questionable because it does seem to me that in the history of liberal America, for example, we actually have made a lot of progress. I mean, uh, you know, there is a certain line that says, well, there's a continuity between slavery and lynching and Jim Crow and police violence. But honestly, you know, if you asked uh, uh, an African-American person, you know, would you rather be a chattel slave in South Carolina, you know, in 1830 or, um, you know, living today, despite, you know, all of the, you know, the, the plain inequalities that exist, uh, you know, which situation is better. And I, I just think that the, you know, the progress that has been made towards those ideals is uh, is undeniable. 
but you know that doesn't mean that you then say well but everything is great and you know let's not worry about existing injustices what you do as a liberal is you say yes we're still not fully living up to those ideals and so we need to go ahead and correct them but our society is correctable and we can you know use policy uh, and politics to make changes to make things better So here's where I agree, and here's where I disagree. Um, I do agree with the notion that there has been considerable progress. You know, for more of these liberal values, like, you know, equal rights, you know, fairer shots. But, like, what he's just undenying is that there's a rot. Like, you know, like, the rot of things, something's just, like break apart in this country. And, you know, with Flint, Michigan, East Palestine, are these sorts of things, are people losing their homes to, like, bonds that were lies? Like, there's there's a clear, visible, systemic problem. But, but why do you call with, that break apart? Couldn't it be that just there was an accident? No, land, because, lands got contaminated, and now the government and the sec- railroad companies should buy these lands. Second, if there was like an outbreak in Manhattan that this wouldn't be solved, do you think for a second that wouldn't be the case? No, man, there'd be more death and mayhem, that's all. You, but you don't think there'd be like a faster government effort to suddenly swoop in and help? If, the, if it was a train wreck, I believe that they would uh, probably have to pork up some money to keep the stock market running. I believe there would be massive crime in the streets that you would not see in East Palestine. There would be total mayhem just because of density of people. This has happened out in the boonies of Ohio, and they can afford to lie to these people because they really aren't going to do much about it until the but attorneys that, show that, up. That's what I mean. It's when like, the attorneys show up, boy, it's the, happening now. I'm sure there's going to be lawsuits flying left and right. This is, this is the disagreement that I have with him, is that I, I think liberalism has kind of shown it's toothless when it comes to t- certain things. What would you think would be a solution for people to be bought, their lands bought, and told to leave? Anything than, like, leaving these people to rot in... In dirty water. In dirty water and become contaminated and probably di- get I cancer. Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with you. Like, th- I th- believe th- the government, th- in due time, I can guarantee you if Trump's elected, that's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to pay everybody to leave town. Everybody, I, I don't would know. give Trump credit, but I don't think Trump would do that. I, I think Trump I would think forget. He would. I think he would. I, I think he's a very forgetful man. I believe he, he'll. I he, believe he'll do that only because it's a win-win-win for him, and it'll really show everybody that he's the man. You know. That I mean, Trump, Trump did an amazing job when he was campaigning for president in 2016. When he was, yeah, he got free campaign. He, well, got, he, he was got like, the I'm going, talk I'm about going to, him all I'm day. going to protect mining jobs. I'm going to make sure. Um, your wages don't that jobs stay in the country. Like he was very clear. Like not we're not bring steel. We're not manufacturing going to do. Back. We're not going to do another NAFTA. He ended up doing another NAFTA. He did the TPP under a different name. Um, but you believe it he was, was a bigger same, outsourcer? I I, I I don't know enough about the TPP, but it was my understanding was much better than NAFTA. It really allowed much more uh, products to be. I don't know benefited. By being made in the USA, and we didn't. There weren't any. There weren't as high as quotas of how much you had to buy 
from the NAFA participating partners, which is Canada and Mexico. And so it was much more American-friendly, considering we were the chief buyers of the products. Don't you believe that is true, or am I wrong? I mean, it just looks like more of... Typical. Because you just called it. What happens with free trade with a different name? It was actually more beneficial to America. But it's more free trade, and free trade screws over labor every time in the way it's propositioned. So that's what I mean. Trump Trump is looking out. Trump is looking. Says he was looking out for working class Americans, but he's backing stuff that really just helps American business people. Hmm. Uh, There you go again. You have more fear. Of a business than you do of a government. Yeah, because right now business people control the government. If the so government you, so was the run... Real, the railroad crump company is controlling how the administration has reacted to East Palestine? I, and I think that's I think There's that's a reflective. legitimate case for that I because think, I think it's Warren, reflective Bu- of this. Warren Buffett was able to convince Obama to cancel the Keystone Pipeline to appease his environmentalist friends because he owned railroad a big chunk of... Uh, well, Norfolk, the railroad company that moved all this toxic waste around on the rail. Now we know this tox- not toxic waste, petroleum. Now we know that we got to use more and more and more pipelines. And you're giving us the reason. We need more and more pipelines. And there's a lot of pipelines already underground that are massive in size. Yes, and you have those occasional pipelines, I understand, that do blow up. And all hell breaks out when they do break up. And they blow up. The houses are just blown up to smithereens if it's for heating oil or cooking gas. I understand that. Accidents are accidents. But derailments, man, wow, that is so uncontrolled. I mean, we know what this was happening. This was happening because regulations were so loose. It was merely taking... As a result of that strike. Yes. That Soon check-ups, after. Checkups before trains go off used to be two minutes. Then it was 30 seconds. Wow. Like, so... Are you being honest? That's what I've read. That's, that's that's what I've read. That's definitely shocking all. 30 seconds, how the hell do you have a checker? That's nothing. That's boop, boop, and go. That's a stop sign. <laughs> that's a red light, green light, and then, of course, the yellow in between. But, my God, it was down to 30 seconds? It couldn't have been that ridiculous, could it? I mean, it, it's the problem. Like, this is why we want sometimes stricter regulations or oversight. Like, like you, you ask me why I trust government more than business people, and it's, it's a clear one. Is that I feel like I can hold my co- government much more accountable than I can hold a businessman. Where do you have evidence of that? I can vote out people. When Trump screwed up with his COVID... You can res- bankrupt companies! When Trump screwed up with his COVID response... One person... One person cannot change any of the things you feel about. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who's an anti-GMO fanatic? I've never had a conversation with an anti-GMO. Most anti-GMO people never ever realize it's not GMOs they're angry about. It's Monsanto. (sighs) GMOs have several debatable qualities about them. But when it really gets down to when people start talking about the problem with GMOs, they're talking about Monsanto. They're talking that Monsanto is a near-untouchable company that is borderline bought out the FDA that has been America's favorite chemical manufacturer forever. Um, 
that their copyright over their genetic material is so strong that they managed to get... You mean like, the patents. The, the patents are so strong that they've managed to appeal to courts and have it rewritten that you can own organisms. No, they owned uh, the coronavirus and yeah, the they, vaccine. They, they own organisms. Like, this is how powerful that this company Not is. Not Monsanto in particular, but uh, Fauci and his homies. They but own. more or less, like, Monsanto's copyright is so strong that they're, they're so confident in this. They brag about it on their website. They're yeah. like, we have a right to. That co- I understand. That, that, I they understand. go around agricultural places your, under- and they puncture seeds into trucks, into seed trucks, because they know some seeds are going to fall into other farmers' yards and they can take the whole farmland for copyright infringement. This is how powerful Monsanto is. So you're right. There are problems with the government, which I don't feel pessimistic about because I feel like I can change that. I you feel can't. Like, I feel like I can I feel like I can go can't. voting someone else doesn't change the administrative state, which is the biggest problem in our government. We don't have the tanks to set the the record straight. We can't overcome our government. When they do wrong, they do really wrong for a long period of time. Corporations can lose market share overnight. Now, in the, you make a very good case with Monsanto because they're they're really ginormous. We can talk about but Raytheon, Johnson Northam, Halliburton, any, it, all these look, governments. But look at the, the case of Monsanto. Do you realize how screwed we were as a society in food lines, starving because agricultural mass mass amounts. And that's why of I'm farmers. not against GMOs. That's why I'm not against GMOs. My GMOs God, are a good half thing. of this stuff we, we have to fertilize in order for you and I to eat. But the GMOs are a good thing because the but population I'm, I'm grows. Not, I'm alone. not mad about GMOs. I am mad about a super predatory company that's not even an agricultural company. It's a chemical company that has elbowed its way into agriculture and pretty much owns everything. Monsanto is not easily boycottable. Monsanto makes the tomatoes and the lettuce for McDonald's and who knows what else. There's no option to un-Monsanto your life. There is no option. Yeah. Population has grown. Businesses has grown. The needs of the, the consumer has grown exponentially. That without the sorry-ass Monsanto... We couldn't grow the, the amount of crops we presently grow. Man, we're dumping stuff we grow so much, and it's directly related to innovation You know, in, you in know fertilizers. You know what we have like a ton of is milk. Yeah. And and that's, that's why there was a massive... Um, spill, yeah. That, that's why there was a massive uh, Got Milk campaign, because um, the milk lobby got together. And this was happening since Reagan and, um, and Carter. And, I, and, I've, and I'm appalled at milk. Never liked it. And they were like, we're making too much of this stuff. We need it gone now. Uh-huh. Like, we need to start selling this stuff. And that's why um, there's so much cheese, is because that's how the dairy industry is getting its stuff made. It, it's well, we should have done, instead of spilling the milk, is make a lot more cheese. I'd be for that. That's what they're doing now. Is because Just make mi- more cheese and sell it worldwide. It's because people realize that milk is not good for you. But here's another thing. Um... That goes on into the problem is that for businesses who are very much accommodated in the market, instead of having to meet certain guidelines of having, like, for example, you know why there is a little, if you buy your kid a bottle of milk, you know what it says? It says right on the bottle that there are no, there are no proven side effects of growth hormone treatment. 
because people believe it links to cancer. And news reports about this sort of hold on, news reports about this were actually stopped because the milk lobby is so strong that they would lose so many advertisers as a result. So when you ask me why am I more pessimistic about companies that are huge, magnificent, I'm not out there concerned about the mom and pop store. I'm not concerned about a small branch. I am concerned about huge mammoths of industries that spawn into other countries that immediately affect so much of our way of life. Like they are centrally planning in their own way. And when there's something that yeah, but you're not you don't fear the central planning because of the I government. Can't, I can't, yeah, because I can't go up to them and say stop that. They tell me to get lost. They throw you me mean out government of, or the corporation. The corporation. They tell me to get lost, and there are so many other places that you they can. Could, they but can you go can up. collectively, since you like the collective so much, you can get people to bankrupt the country. No, we can't. Yes, bad press. Everybody Boycotts. knows that McDonald's is bad for you, and it's still around. But Everybody knows cr- that these are their practices, great. and Monsanto is still around. But it tastes great. You know why? Because they're protected by the government. No, if I they go to the me, government they and I say me how to this, then a I can man. actually take on these things. On the government, you think you can vote someone out? You're going to solve anything? There's like 150,000 bureaucrats supporting laws that were passed decades ago, way before you voted the guy out, and it's the administrative state that's got this country screwed, not so much the politician. Now, what about government debt? That's killing you as we speak. That's making everything so damn expensive for you. Everybody. From the high wage... In- and people liked it when they got their Trump checks. People liked it. No, they didn't. They just didn't want to work. People were excited. They were excited Biden not was going to, to work. forgive their student loan debt. Like, these are little things the government's just doing now that are it's amazingly the, better for everyone in their life. It's their money to give. Yes, it is, because they're paying taxes. Who, the government agent who's giving you the money? Everyone who's a taxpayer has a say in the government. That is our membership of the United States So, no, what you're pay- you believe in just paying taxes so that they can give back to you in some way or form? I believe that entitles you. Absolutely. No. You're wrong. Yeah. No way. You're entitled to. You're entitled I'm to. not you're, entitled you're to probably mo- free taxes. money that someone else paid a lot more than I did. I mean, I'm buddy, only, you, you, you're probably I'm paying entitled. way more in taxes than most people. Giving I'm, your- I'm, a ti- I'm, I'm entitled to good services like... Here's my like <laughs> for the fire department show up, save me from losing my home or save me from the heart attack that I'm presently having on time, efficient and professional. Same with police. I pay for that. I pay for kick ass roads. In my case, I am uh, demanding a circle on Harbor and Crandon here in Key game. And for some reason, it's not happening. It's being delayed because they want to put a right lane somewhere on Harbor and Crandon, and that just delays the ultimate. I mean, we we've seen we've but seen democracy are things, in action. That's what I feel you, I'm you, entitled you, to. You can believe, like, look, look. This is why I like democracy because we've seen it in action over the last. You like thievery is what you like. No, I like pay democracy. Off, you pay off your like, student like, like, loans. Look at it. People, what about people, the guy who already paid his student that there loans? There was a secret Trump coup d'état waiting, and they elected Marjorie Taylor Greene. People like me worked to get people like AOC on stage. We have had an outright effect. While on, she runs off Amazon from her own home state. We have seen outright that democracy is giving us the results. Slowly, perhaps. Slowly, as intended by the Founding Fathers. But democracy gives us a platform 
to challenge things. That is why I believe in government, is because through democracy, we can actually change these things. Through government, we can handle our problems. If it's only going to be dealt with by business people, you know what they're only going to look out for? Number one, baby. Yeah, because they're told to do that. They're legally bound to listen to their stockholders before anything else. And I'm going to give you the final word. Man, you had a that was a drop the mic moment. I, I've been humbled by your love for government. I'm USA. Almost, USA. I'm almost in love with the government. No, I can't possibly be. Folks, Friday we'll have another show. Maybe it'll be the Schneider Hour. I don't know. It depends how much he likes what I heard this morning. It's 57 minutes. So until then, stay free and consistent with the gentleman on the left who happens to be on my right here in the studio. We're going to leave it with... Stay free, everyone. George Harrison, what a life. WSQF 94. Apologies to the Japanese to pronouncing the city wrong. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.